Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, we are less than a week away from the start of the 2022 Six Nations and we will be looking in depth at the weekend's games in our final preview before the big kickoff. The debate surrounding England's backline has intensified because not only has it been confirmed that they will be without their captain, Owen Farrell, for the entire tournament, Joe Marchant of Queen's has gone down with COVID as well. Uh, Farrell suffered a freak ankle injury and we'll see what it means for him to be sidelined until mid-March. We'll discuss what, uh, if any, the effects of his absence will be, both in terms of England in general, but on the backline in specific terms. If England can go without Farrell for a whole Six Nations, perhaps it might be a useful exercise ahead of the World Cup. One man who is hoping to have a bigger impact over the next two months is Ellis Genge. The Leicester captain is enjoying a fine season at club level. Delighted to say he'll be speaking to us about what he expects his role to be ahead of a Scotland game this weekend. Elsewhere, we'll get an in-depth look at Ireland and their opener against Wales in Dublin this weekend. We'll be speaking to Liam Toland of the Irish Times to see if the Irish are confident of carrying forward their impressive autumn form into this tournament. We'll also recap on the weekend's action in the Premiership. Delighted to welcome back alongside me the former England centre, Tom May. Hello, Tom. Hi, thanks for having me back. We look, we've been debating Owen Farrell's inclusion, not inclusion, for quite a long time, actually. Uh, and we now know that he'll not be taking part in the Six Nations at all. That cuts uh, several ways, doesn't it? Uh, what do you think the major impact of it will be? I think any side that doesn't have Owen Farrell will certainly feel the effects. A, because he is a big leader within that group, uh, both on and off the field. But he's also you know, a fantastic player in his own right. Yes, he perhaps takes a bit of a hammering from certain elements of uh, the, the support base, but I think he's a world-class player. And whenever teams are shorn of their talents, um, whether it be within a squad or within a, an actual starting 15, it'll have an effect. That said, I think it's a really interesting opportunity for England. Um, well, it does open, it, open up a lot of other selections that, you know, if you mandate him to be captain and you want him to play, 
you know, it shuts down other other options, doesn't it? Because you can't play certain players alongside him, inside and outside. Whereas now you've got free reign. It, it does. I think there's a huge amount of opportunity and excitement as we move towards the Six Nations. Not only because the teams are very, very level, uh, but I also think within the England team, there's now a crop of youngsters that are coming through that are actually knocking on the door. Um, now, whether you whether Owen Farrell is captain or not. What would be read into him not being in a team, should he be fit, is far more than probably it actually essentially means. Yeah. You know, if you want to have a look at someone, yeah, I know exactly what th- there's, a, there's a huge furor that's created around him not being a, playing. And I think England have got a real opportunity now to, to say, right, we have the option to, to, to play with him or without. Well, let's start first. I mean, I imagine that Ben Youngs, whose form has been good this year for Leicester, will be a starter, um, not least because he's got so much experience and he understands the dynamics of these six nations um, but who will be his partner? Marcus Smith yep. I think he'll have to be Marcus Smith now George Ford has is arguably playing the, the, the best rugby we've ever seen him play I think the problem for him is that, that Marcus Smith, whatever he seems to do right now, <laughs> turns, to, turns to gold. Um, I watched a couple of the games during the Champions Cup and the way he managed the team, where he came on against Cast, it just changed the mentality of his whole team. Um, I think if you're going to play him, going back to Ben Youngs, you need to have that experienced nature next to him um, at nine, just, yep. to, just to sort of boss the relationship between forwards and, and Marcus Smith. Um, I'm really excited about, about this tournament, seeing those two play together. Well, we seem to have been discussing this for, well, with me, it's decades. <laughs> but, um, you know, the centre partnership is going to be another one. Uh, Joe Marchant is not going to feature, which is a shame for him and England because his form has been good. He played well against South Africa yeah, as well, didn't year. he? Uh, so what are you looking at? Slade and Atkinson? I think you will find that, that Atkinson slots into sw- to, to 12. Um, look, we have to find ways to create uh, a centre partnership moving forward that doesn't involve Manu Tuolangi, uh, because unfortunately for him and for England, he's 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 never really that fit, is he? Um, Atkinson, for for those that haven't seen too much of him, he is a massive, massive unit. Not in the same way that that Manu is. Um, he runs very intelligent lines and creates opportunities for those around him to run into the space that that that, that he almost creates just just due to his his physical attributes you know he can get his hands out the back of um the contact area i think which is really important in yep. modern day rugby balance him with slade he got a left foot a really intelligent player silky runner um i, I would like to see jack noel have a shot at 13 but i don't think you play slade and noel um well they've got italy second game up so yeah i think i think the fact that we see almost a revitalized jack noel is is exciting for england i think he's a fantastic player never gets tackled by the first defender uh, which is almost you know unheard of um and, and i think he gets england on the go forward when he uh, does I'll tell you play. what's interesting it, and this is not being dismissive of italy but they are not as good as the other teams they're trying you know to, and they are getting better but so are the other teams i can't see them winning a game but it means this because France have got them first and England second. France and England, when they go into the third round, are going to have at least one win. If they both win, um, well, it's the opening game for England and the second game uh, against Ireland for France, they're 2-0 up, whereas other teams could be 2-0 down and virtually out of it, uh, yeah. uh, certainly Grand Slam-wise. But, but you know, you're, if you lose the first two games, you're, you're struggling 
did you do anything above mid-table? Your, your title hopes have almost gone. You could have a situation where um, nearly every team has won one game or you've got a couple of teams that are uh, virtually uh, mandated to be challenging for the title and two big teams who are going to be struggling for you know fourth and fifth. And it, that's how close... The, the way the fixtures have fallen is very interesting. Um, and, and France and England are lucky in this sense they will definitely have recorded a win, almost certainly. I, you know, I, 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 I apologise, I don't want to be dismissive of the Italians, but I just can't see them, them, them beating either of those teams. Uh, whereas Scotland, Ireland and Wales, could, uh, they could be 2-0 or they could be 2-0 up or down. Yeah, it's a... It's a I mean, it's, it's almost reflective of, of what we're seeing in the, in the Gallagher Premiership. Yep. You know, any team on any day can, can turn out. And there's a big if around those, those two fixtures for France and England. Should they be 2-0 up, the people who've got tickets to Paris will be, will be licking their lips because yes. they're going to have a hell of a weekend. But I think, um, I think there's a big if around, around can, can France topple Ireland? Can, can England go to... Um, well, France have got Ireland at home. Yes. That, which is a big thing. Because statistically... Um, I'd like to. I'll have to get my hands on this. I don't know what the percentage is for home wins, but it's large. You know, away wins in the Six Nations are at yeah. a, a premium, and if you can do them, you know, you do your chances of of getting towards the top and challenging, you know, for the for the title. An enormous, disproportionate, almost amount of good. I think um, you know. You talk about away wins, then England going to Scotland this weekend. I, I mean. You know, Eddie Jones. He started two weeks ago, didn't he? Ramping up. You know, we're coming for Scott. He's obviously a team that he's hurting from. They've only won one out of the last four Calcutta Cups, um, and he wants to set that record straight. Well, I mean, I, I, players should never be nervous in in this sense. You know, they they, you know, they should be keenly anticipating, but but know the extent of the challenge. And Murrayfield, when it's full and when Scotland are playing well, is a difficult place to play. Um, and I, I'm sure England will be trying to prepare for this. I just hope they're ready for the visceral onslaught which will come both on and off the field because it's going to be very, very powerful. Well, and this is something that, you know, we talk about the, the untried nature of some of the elements of uh, within England's squad. How, how do they manage everything else that's going on around the pitch? I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy that they can manage what's going on on the field. It's everything else that's surrounding the game that, that could prove quite interesting. Time now in advance of the Calcutta Cup clash which is keenly awaited by both sets of supporters to speak to someone who will feature heavily it's Ellis Genge, the England prop and Leicester captain Hello Ellis Hello mate, you alright? Yeah, first of all, can I say congratulations on what you've been doing at Leicester uh, and the turnaround that's come there How much do you think your extra responsibilities there have helped you as a player uh, and and with England? Um, <clears throat> well, I've only featured really with England once since um, since that, obviously, in that Tonga game. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Once someone makes you captain, people sort of perceive you to be in a, in a different light, um, sort of start speaking to you differently. It was the same when I had a kid. Everyone <laughs> thinks you, Everyone thinks you automatically grow up and and leave all your sort of childish tendencies behind. Um, have I grown up yet? Yeah, probably. Um, am I aware of it? Not massively. Um, 
I guess people listen to you a little bit more. You have to take on a little bit more responsibility. And I guess it just pushes your performance on the pitch because you need to perform for those blokes to take you seriously. When you're looking at the leadership thing, I mean, there are, there are umpteen books and articles on leadership and so on. Do you, uh, did you study any of those or do you just take it, you know, from your natural personality and see what comes? Um, well, I was put into the role nat- for, for um, acting naturally and sort of put my own sprinkle of, of uh, leadership style on it. But I've tried to educate myself, looked at other leaders, um, numerous leaders. It's tough, isn't it? Because like all the great leaders, I guess, there's so much knowledge about all the different things besides rugby union, unless you look at someone like Jono or, or people like that. Um, I'm lucky enough to have Steve Borthwick, who obviously captained his country 40 odd times, I think. And then obviously was captain of Bath and Saracens and won numerous trophies. Um, so Steve's helped me massively. Um, only book I've read, which I guess relates to leadership, is something called The Inner Game of Tennis. I don't know if you've read that book. Uh, I know I know of it. I will read it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a, <laughs> it's a good book. Um, Steve lent that one to me. Um, so yeah, I've, I've read that. For me, I think once you've read one, you've almost read them all. I think they've all just got different stories um, until obviously you find a unique example. Um, so yeah, uh, Ellis, the the uh, we've been hearing a lot about Leicester and the way they've gone about the uh, process of recruitment and analysis and so on. Moneyball has been mentioned. I don't know if you've seen the film. Good film, Brad Pitt. Uh, well worth watching. Um, can you tell me how that impacts you as a player? I mean, do do they do they divulge these things to you? Do they analyze these things with you? Um, I think I was a little bit more heavily involved when obviously I. Um, was probably perceived to stay at the club for my imminent future. Um, and then, as you'd imagine, he's, he's probably speaking to Hamro and other people about the, the future of the club now. Um, but prior to that, yeah, I had a, I had an inkling, I guess, of how we wanted to build the squad. But I think the most important thing, something that me and Steve have always kept very clear is the, the now, um, and how we wanted the squad to develop throughout the year. So obviously we had a lot of young boys. And then probably myself in the middle with Tommy Rafael, Hamro, Jasper, a few boys sort of in their mid-20s. And then at the other end of the scale, you got Ben Youngs, Dan Cole, Tom Youngs at the time. So for us, it was very hard for the balance of the club, which is age at this end, kids, wife, um, complete different goals. And then young kids who are just trying to break into the system, really put their best foot forward, but enjoy themselves at the same time. And then obviously you had a few of us in the middle. So I think... <clears throat> The vast majority of our leadership group was in the middle. The spine of our club was in the middle in terms of myself, Hammer, Tommy, a few others. Um, and I feel what we've done at the club, which has uh, helped sort of propel it to where it is now. And Steve's obviously highlighted that is that put the best people in the best roles in terms of like you've got people who understand empathetically where people are at emotionally, uh, physically, and just being honest. Uh, we've got a very honest, open relationships. So. Yeah, at the moment, it's, it's, it's doing quite well. Obviously, we didn't get the result on the weekend at sale, but um, it, it's, it's done us well so far. Ellis, you're you know, less than five days away now from, from one of the most exciting Six Nations campaigns that many, many people have been looking forward to. How has camp been so far this year and how has it potentially been any different from last year's that was so heavily impacted by COVID? Uh, they're just worlds apart, mate. I think we were extremely strict with our, our COVID rules. As you probably heard, we were in our rooms, not coming out, eating our dinner in our room and stuff. Um, so I think in the Premiership is tough because everyone's at different clubs almost. And like 
Although we had a lot of um, boys from one club last year, I think you look at like Scotland, for example, they've got Edinburgh, Glasgow, um, where 99% of their players are out of the Welsh regions, obviously. Um, and the same with Leinster and, and those Irish clubs. So for us last year, there was a lot of easy excuses for us to make. Um, I think with this year, just the way where camp's been, um, I think we've bonded so well off the pitch. I think that summer tour, really, summer tour, sorry, obviously we didn't tour anywhere, we stayed in England, but that summer test series really helped us. Um, we kind of USA, blood and a lot of uh, new players who are obviously part of the quarter squad now. And obviously the boys being away with the Lions as well, coming back and they get better and they, they want more, they get hungrier. Time will tell. Obviously we've done well in that in that autumn series, went 3-0. Um, but that means nothing, obviously, if you don't back it up and the Six Nations is a completely different beast. You're halfway through a, a domestic campaign now, um, which has obviously been quite attritional. Um, a few injuries and stuff, but yeah, I think camp's been brilliant, like bonding off the pitch, um, new faces. Yeah, really exciting. Um, but sorry to drag that out in answer to your question. I think what we've been doing off the pitch this time around, mainly due to COVID restrictions, has just been significantly better than where we left ourselves last year. And one player that hasn't been involved in, in camp as much as probably England fans would like to see is Owen Farrell. How much of an impact will him being away from the squad for the next few few weeks have both on the field and, and off the field? Uh, look, Faz is a massive influence off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Um, he's a class leader. You've seen what he's done with Saris and England. Um, big person. That has. He's not like he's not massively like loud and big and laughing and joking in terms of like socially, but like he's a, he's just a great leader, all round leader, great player. Um, but you have got to fill those gaps, and obviously that that is a void. We spoke about, we've addressed it, um, and we've got a good leadership uh, group. We said like the other day, we said what happens if this. The core of this group, like 16 players or 15 players, all dropped down with COVID and couldn't play. And we asked ourselves, do you think we'd still be in a good spot? And I honestly think, yeah, we would. With the depth and where we've put ourselves in terms of where we've geared ourselves to go towards, I, I do think genuinely that we would be fine, which is obviously detriment to, to the boys and what they've done off the pitch. Now, Ellis, um, I, I know you wouldn't say even if you uh, did know, so I'm not going to put you in that position, but do you know who the captain's going to be? I genuinely, and I, no, you're right. I probably wouldn't tell you if I did know. But no, you shouldn't do either. But. No, I know, but I, I, I don't know. Okay, no. mate. Okay. We've got a leadership group. I think like you, like a lot of people obviously think captaincy is a, a huge role, but I think once you go from club to international and you, you, you make that step up, the old cliche of everyone's a leader, not all the time, you know, sometimes too many cooks spoil the broth. Um, so I think for, for us, we always speak about just doing our job. And a lot of the time, if you do your job to the best of your ability, firstly, people will follow. And secondly, not much goes wrong, which obviously makes it a lot easier for those people to make decisions. Now, I was told um, that Eddie Jones' nickname for you was Gangster. Now, I don't know if that's right. but um, no, no, not for a long time. Not for a long time, which, no. which begs the second question. How has your relationship developed with him since you, since you first were called up in 2016? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess Eddie almost seen it as like a father in role because I was obviously so young when I am in, 20 years old, living away from home. Um, my old man's a big influence to me and obviously when I spent time away from him at that age, I probably played up a bit, um, acted a bit of a, a bad boy, if you will, and trying to get him to scuffle all the time and training and stuff like that. And I think what Eddie sort of opened my eyes to is that it just drains you so much emotionally. Like I've got a lot more to give on the pitch rather than just pushing and shoving because as you well know, Brian, you can't, it's anyone anymore so um, 
there ain't much point uh, there ain't much point wasting your, your your energy trying to push and drag people around and don't get me wrong I'll probably be times where I, I will do that as you've seen three weeks ago but um, it's, it's in you isn't it it's the, it's the nature of the beast um, but yeah he's just been such a good guide for me as to how to channel my energy into being the best player I can be and leading in that way as opposed to trying to be the old 1980s enforcer yeah well I mean mate look you 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 have to play on or near the edge if that if that is what you do habitually. It's just a question of in that instant moment, very quickly thinking, do I need to do this or can I do it later <laughs> or whatever? But I, this is going to come up when you, when, you, when you step on the field at Murrayfield. I'm sure you're aware of this. The physical challenge that they will bring straight away onto you is going to be there. Uh, you uh, won't have Courtney uh, there either. So you'll have a, a revised sort of back row, um, and how are you going to deal with that physical, the the physical challenge that they will bring in in all aspects, actually, set piece and in the break and at breakdowns. Um, head on, mm-hmm. um, straight on the barrel, I guess. Um, I can't think of a name in my head that would shy away from the challenge. Um, I'm certainly not going to. Um, and whoever takes the pitch that day, I've got a faith that they do the same. I like you know, mate. Um, everyone who plays England always goes up a gear. Um, physically, it's always a look. You'd be disappointed, wouldn't you, if a test match wasn't physical, if a test match wasn't intense, if the collisions weren't big, and the game wasn't fast. This that's what test rugby is. That's why it's a step up. Um, I'm sure Scotland are going to come with a, a big physical plan and, and try out more. So honestly, genuinely be upset if they didn't. So I, I, I look forward to it. I'm sure all the boys do as well. One of the things that I think England do well, uh, when they do it well, um, everything ticks off this, is when you can get some variety into the ball carry instead of just the one outs. You know, you've got the balls inside, you've got the deep ball, the ball round and so on. You, Kyle Sinclair, um, whichever the hooker plays, are capable of uh, you know being dexterous uh, and feeding so that the defenses have to guess when they're covering things. How much work are you doing on trying to 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 bring something different and pose different questions for that set defense? Um, <clears throat> I think that r- rugby just evolves so much um, year on year. I think at the moment it's probably gone back to a set piece dominant and kicking dominant game. But that's not something that we want to square ourselves off to. We want to be able to, as you just said, like bring the variety with the ball playing options and, and all that. But I think something that we probably forgot last year was that you've got to go through teams first to earn the right to take an edge or earn the right to put pressure on the corners and, and stuff like that. So I think at the forefront of our mind is probably let's go up front for, I don't know. You just got to play what you see, haven't you? Play to space. I don't know. I'm, I'm not probably the wrong person to ask about how tactically we're going to Boston run a pitch. You're going to have several untried combinations because of people going down with COVID, you know, and unavailability and so on. Uh, halfbacks not settled, centre pairing new, uh, back three new. How much of that, how much can you get in training as opposed to, I know it's not like a game, but how close do you think you can get to fluency? You're just, just being in camp. Uh, yeah, I think the the biggest growth you got in terms of being in camp is probably developing relationships off the pitch. The big thing that courts always harps on about is that if you play for each other, like you're going to be able to rely on that more than someone who plays for themselves. Um, and yeah, it's tough. It is tough finding those combinations. And the hardest bit about 
this as well is that we don't know who's going to play. Obviously, Eddie selects the team um, and we genuinely find out a day before you maybe. So um, in training, obviously, you get the people who are in one team, people in another, but you always have to be conscious, I guess, of not just making sure you're all right with this scrum out or making sure you're taking pass of that fly out because as you said with the nature of the game at the moment with COVID and stuff and people dropping out you never know who's going to fill that role um, but look, we've got a great squad everyone's involved to 100% in training um, and yeah we've got, we've got a good thing going so you, you talk about the, you talk about the squad Ellis um, and new faces new energy new new uh, enthusiasm within the squad What who excites you what excites you the most about having those youngsters in and who's really putting their hand up and and I guess leading when actually you know they've come in as a, as a fairly new player who's standing up for you right this second we only trained um, properly once I guess last week maybe twice you could say um, just because of the fire outside the hotel in Brighton so we haven't been exposed to training with each other too much we'll probably make up for that this week um, but in terms of, of, of players coming in, I think there's like 16 people who haven't played in a, in a Six Nations campaign before. So it's just a good opportunity. Everyone's excited. Like that's, you'd be upset if they're not. Like Everyone needs to be excited for a Six Nations campaign and we'll train later on today. So I'll have to get back to you on that one. I haven't seen too much yet. Um, how do you think the Six Nations differs as a tournament um, from, say, the Autumn Series? Um, I think there's obviously significantly more history behind the Six Nations campaign. I think we played our first Calcutta Cup game against Scotland in 1879, um, 143 years ago, I think, if my maths is right. Um, which obviously so much history behind it. So does it mean more? I don't know. But obviously everyone, with all the history that you've seen between England, Wales, Ireland, obviously everyone being and like Le Crunch and stuff like that, Brian's favourite, um, and the Italians and stuff like there's just so much history behind it that you can track and follow, go back, look at games, even last year, you know. Um, so I guess that's why there's a little bit more excitement about it. And with the autumns, it's more or less people coming over um, and playing against you. It's Wickham, I know. But with the Six Nations going to other people's stadiums, like going up to Murrayfield, going to the Aviva, all these places, um, it just has a different atmosphere, I guess, especially when they're packed out. You're absolutely right about it meaning more to the supporters. Uh, undoubtedly I just wondered it, you know it, it's impossible I mean I know players say I don't read this I don't watch that I don't listen to this but things filter through does do you get the do you feel the edge um, uh, you know from from the outside or is that something you work actively to say look it's just another game I don't know half and half I think as I said, you don't know if you're you're playing um, until later in the week, so you don't really focus on that. You focus on training as best you can, preparing as best you can, be ready for anything. And then as soon as, I don't know, say someone gets given their debut, I guess they get hit with a world of emotion uh, closer to the time. Uh, and that's when they'll start seeing messages and their parents will be on their back and they'll probably start feeling different pressures. Um, so yeah, it's different for every individual. I guess it's tough for me to answer that myself. Uh, yeah, of course I see people. I'm not the most popular bloke in the world of rugby. Um, I've had my my moments and stuff. So yeah, I get a fair bit of grief, but fuck it, it's part and parcel of the game, isn't it? I'm not really too bothered what other people think of me, to be frank. That's it, Ellis. Look, um, Candid, as I knew you would be, can I just uh, wish you all the best and say... I hope that your personal development keeps going the way it's been. Because I've watched your career right from the beginning. I know we had a bit of a, a tete-a-tete to start with. But, uh, you know, I'm genuinely very impressed, mate. 
Thank you very much, Brian. I really appreciate that. And just I, go and win. Just go and yeah. win. <laughs> we'll leave it. We'll leave it. <laughs> Tom, we, we've speaking to Alice about about the, the the challenge that Scotland are going to bring and huge passion and so on. Actually, a bit like England, they've not necessarily always started well, but they are at home. They've got the crowds back, um, you know, and I think they'll be uh, rightly uh, confident about what they can do. Um, in particular, what do you think England have to be wary of? And uh, you, don't just say Finn Russell. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll rethink my answer there. <laughs> Finn, Russell. Finn Russell is one of them. Um, I think I think they need to be uh, aware of the ferocity and intensity that that Scotland will come with. We've we've touched on it, um, and and it's one of those games I think where if England starts poorly and don't get out of the blocks quickly, then I think they'll find it hard to get any sort of momentum into the game. I think from a, a Scotland perspective, um, if if they do come away with having beaten England they have to then back it up like they're constantly talking to Scottish friends of mine and, and you know that if they beat England it'll be like they've won the World Cup um, I'm hoping they're going to listen well, to they've this got, well, they've, the got, they've got Wales yes. um, who, who, who I mean with the best who knows how they will go on in Ireland because they've got such a changed uh, uh, squad and personnel you but know. it's consistency that's been lacking for Scotland yep. and I think now we're seeing a much more consistent selection for Scotland and some really interesting young players coming through. I, I obviously it's look funny, isn't it? If you get a consistent field. selection, you tend to get better performances. Yeah. It's really strange. When you, you look back to what was happening with France a few years ago, they had 458 different people playing in different, different positions. But in the midfield, you've got the likes of Hutchinson, uh, Redpath, who's only played one or two caps, one cap, I think, and he looked like he'd been there for 50. Uh, Chris Harris of Gloucester, they're, they're really Jones, attacking yeah. players for, for Scotland that can actually open up international defences, Duan van der Merwe on the wing. And Hamish Watson, one of the sort of small brigade in the back row. Well, funny you should mention Hot Watson because that, that goes on to a thing. When I've seen England struggle, they've got the breakdown wrong. They've either overcommitted or undercommitted. Um, and conversely, you know, when they do get that right, like like nearly every other team, things go a lot better. But Scotland, in particular, I think uh, breakdowns are particularly difficult. You know, if when they're on song, they get the right number of players in early enough. You know, they make effective contributions; they're accurate. When so how I, many how many of those Scotland performances as a collective are built upon someone like Hamish Watson having a good game at the breakdown? Because it slows nope. the attacking yeah, ball. It's, it's, yep. it's, a, it's, yep. you know, it's a really important area. And you, know, you look at the likes of um, t- Tom Curry, obviously. Uh, Courtney Laws won't be there. Um, how much are those, those players going to affect England in and around that area specifically? Because um, they decided this time around no Undale, so you're not, you can't play you know, to, to, well, to all intents and purposes open side. So it will be... It, it, the back row selection will be very interesting. It will go quite a long way, their perfor- the back row performance, to um, deciding England's fortunes, I think. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you, you couldn't ask for, a, from an England perspective, you couldn't ask for a more, more mouth-watering uh, fixture away up in Edinburgh. But, you know, I think, I think Scotland, as I mentioned, England have only won one of the last four games. We had that crazy game at, at Twickenham a few years ago. Um, and one of the most painful experiences of my life was the year before when I was sat next to Rory Lawson in Murrayfield and England yeah. lost. It was brutal. It wasn't great last year either. To be honest, <laughs> it? Uh, anyway. 
Well, Ireland uh, come off uh, a back of an impressive autumn series, including down in the All Blacks. So why don't we speak to someone who can give us uh, an insight into Ireland's hopes and expectations. We're going to speak to Liam Toland again of the Irish Times. Hello, Liam. How are you doing, Brian? It's all going to be plain sailing, isn't it? You've got Wales at home first and you've beaten the All Blacks and Leinster marching forward in Europe and it almost looks seamless. Absolutely. There's a lot of unknown unknowns to quote Donald Rumsfeld as well, <laughs> I'm afraid, because when you look at the autumn series, like we had some serious high points, Japan, obviously, New Zealand winning the, was it winning all three games, I thought. But it was the manner in which Ireland performed and, and won. And I think we can kind of somewhat park New Zealand a little bit because of COVID and fatigue and, you know. But you can't discount in, in our history, we don't beat them that often, so it's important. But I think the bigger story is, if you watch the previous week against Japan and you see a happiness about how the squad are, you can visibly see them happy going on the pitch. You know, you say, well, hang on, these guys are international players. But that happiness wasn't evident in the last part of Joe Smith's uh, reign, I would suggest. Um, uh, Peter um, uh, O'Mahony said at the end of that block, that it was the most enjoyable, happiest time he'd been in an Irish squad. And that's a pretty profound statement for someone who's been a Lions test captain. Uh, and it tells you a lot about what's going on. But the style of play Ireland are, are employing is really, really interesting. They have a back row that can play out in the wide reaches. There's an expectation and not a conservatism around that. There's an expectation around offloading. And it's a better style of game, which I think is the deeper story of Ireland coming into this Six Nations. Can they maintain that in the pressure cooker of the Six Nations? Well, I absolutely agree with that. And Munster are Munster are not quite playing with the freedom, um, principally because of of the uh, personnel that Leinster are or Ulster are maybe Connaughton, you know, to a certain extent. Um, what what I'm seeing is, as you say, the as you say is the are parts of the Schmidt regime which were good, which are the disciplines which you have to have and the accuracy of the aerial game, the chase game, the defensive game, but also then, as you say, players who are not only uh, willing to play with ambition, but, but capable of being dexterous. Whereas before you had a back row, you know, standard who would take the ball in in a very powerful way. Now you've got people who are looking to offload, you've got people who are looking to break tackles, you've got people who are looking to, off, you know, to, to pass before the, uh, the, uh, the impacts. And I think that's creating much more, uh, many more problems for defences because you can't cover everything. You have to guess certain things. And when you've got that in your locker, uh, when it goes well, everything opens up. Well, you, you could even see that. If you extend it to probably Ulster, who've struggled in, in, in many seasons to try and get back to where they, they, they believe they should be. And you pick a guy called Michael Lowry, the, the little full back. And he is a beneficiary of the style that Ulster are playing. Like if he was playing a monster uh, at this present time, I'm not so sure he'd be in the Irish squad because you wouldn't see the swashbuckling nature of him. Now, can these new players, along with the, the Johnny Sextons, combine with that kind of a happier environment and a broader game plan? The Six Nations is a more difficult, challenging environment. And can they bring that to, to that level? And I think you're spot on, Brian, that, that Joe Smith deserves enormous plaudits for what he achieved in Irish rugby because it, it torrented its way down through the club game, through the school game, you know, it's in so many ways. But what Andy Farrell has achieved to do, he has given guys, and I think someone like uh, Jameson Gibson Park looks like he's playing on the beach at home in New Zealand when he plays for Ireland. And 
that's a wonderful thing. It, like there isn't an Excel spreadsheet in his head dictating the terms and conditions of how he needs to play. And I've seen a bit of that in the in the Premiership with Harlequins, and it, there is a subtle revolution or evolution towards a broader game like the pitch is 70 meters wide and we're seeing more teams playing that full width which is really exciting you talk about two players there that i've got in my notes liam michael lowry i've seen him in a couple of times um, playing for ulster i love him basically because he's shorter than me but the fact that he's absolutely brilliant when he gets his hand on the ball i want you to comment on him and will we see him throughout the six nations not just is he going to come in for the odd appearance but also johnny sexton he's 36 uh he is still playing some good rugby but how do ireland evolve without him well, to start with Michael Lowry first, um, uh, I, I suppose, uh, Tom, if you, if you look at uh, Morgan Parra in the recent Ulster-Claremont game, and you, did, you don't see that man making, I know he's at the outer end of his career, but Michael Lowry skinned him like, skinned him badly, and you don't see that. So you can see somebody explosive who is, there's a swashbuckling nectar definitely to his game, but there's a confidence to his game, and confidence comes, I think, in the back three of which I never played, but it's the confidence that his teammates won't embarrass him. So he can take those chances, knowing that if he gets into a bit of hot water, there's somebody going to come in and support him. And I think that's yeah. that's one of the things you see with Ulster and, and the Irish side. I think we're not going to see a huge amount of him because the embarrassment of Richmond, riches in the Irish back three. I was just kind of trying to jot down who my starting uh, back three would be. Keenan, Hugo Keenan's like he seems like he's 50 caps. He's, he's still in the teens in terms of caps. Earls has to get a start. And then you've got Balak Kloon. You've got a lot of quality players. Jalarm are coming through. And Jacob Stockdale is obviously injured. James Lowe, there's a question mark over injury, etc. Um, so I'm not so sure. I think the Italian game, you might see him. Uh, as for Jonathan Secton, I think Ireland play at a different level when he's playing at 10. I, I think under the Joe Smith era, I think his personality and his importance suffocated an awful lot of what the other players were doing. In other words, they kind of had to look for his permission to do something. Whereas I think the environment now, what Andy Farrell and, and his, his coaching ticket have found a brilliant balance. He's clearly the best out half in Ireland, arguably the best out half in, you know, in these islands in, in many ways. He's too valuable to relegate into a, into a bench position. But maybe in time that will come. I think Ireland have are, are too good with him playing at ten, and there's question marks over um, Carberry injury-wise. Obviously, as you can imagine, uh, Jack Carthy down at Connacht has been has had a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant season. And I think what Carthy is capable of doing without the same horses in his front five is chopping and changing how Connacht play. And I think there's an awful lot of that in Leinster, and there's an awful lot of, in that in what Ireland are doing as well. Well, what there certainly is in Leinster. Uh, and I uh, watched with, not amazement, but I, it suddenly dawned on me when they uh, substituted the whole of their front row that actually, uh, a bit like France, you know, it, it's almost interchangeable. You've, got, you've now got six players who are very good in their positions. They're very good technically uh, in the set. They're mobile, they're dexterous, um, you know, they're physical and so on. So, uh, you know, I, I would... Would, would you think? Do you think they're probably the equal or the the best set of six front rows in this, in this tournament? Oh, they're super. I think with Porter going from tight to loose, said I don't know what you think, Brian, but uh, I think that's, he's done well because it's not easy. But I think well, he started off as a loose head, you see, and yeah. this guy's a freak of nature. Like he, uh, you know, <laughs> when, when he got to something like three hundred kgs on the squat, 
in his like 19, 20 years of age, the fitness guy says, look, that's enough. You don't need to get any stronger. Like he's yeah. powerful. But going to Lucid, I think, has allowed him. I think he's almost more important than Tyke Furlong. Like Tyke Furlong does some outrageously talented things. But you just, if you had a sheet of paper and you analysed Porter with every minute that goes by, what he's contributing to the overall team performance is extraordinary. You know, it's just relentless what he's doing. And he's, he's involved so much. I think the expectation in Leinster, like if you, if you play for Leinster, there's a good chance you'd be a Lions test player. There's a, like you'd definitely be an Irish player and you'd probably win European things. Like the standard is so high and the expectation of players is so high. Um, and I think you're right. I think that front row... Uh, starting or finishing but certainly the starting front row is a pretty formidable uh, unit uh, Liam the, the way the fixtures fall this time is, is quite strange in a way because Italy have got France and then England so without being dismissive of, uh, of them uh, in, in the best possible way those two teams are likely almost certainly to have at least one win maybe two wins now the way yours fall you've got a Welsh team at home which is affected quite badly by injury, so you don't know what's coming necessarily. And then you've got France. So it could go well, you could be 2-0 up and in the challenge, or you could be 2-0 down. And this is the way, this is the unusual nature this time round, the way the fixtures have fallen. It could be the case that everyone uh, has just won one, or it could be the case that two, bigger, two of the bigger nations are 2-0 down and then desperately scrapping not to come fourth and fifth. Because that's the way the tournament goes. It is, you know, quite a short thing, and you cannot afford to get off to a, a bad start. Certainly, um, you know, in round two, if you've not done it in round one. So, uh, how are you? Are you are you happy with the way the fixtures have fallen for for Ireland this time round? Well, just 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 by way of organ, a, a way of getting, we're playing Wales round one. And that's total unknown unknowns. Like they were championship winners last year. And now the, the entire nation of rugby has been almost written off. So, uh, and, and you think as well, Scotland, we're actually playing Scotland last, but Scotland won in Paris and won in London. And in doing so, um, they still came forth in the competition. For me, France is the dark horse, whether they can show the discipline of consistency of their game plan under the pressure, and I'm not so sure they're ready to do that. Dupont is back from a long, relatively long term. He got injured in December. They're still questioning about their selection, but I think that France game is our pivot game. Uh, we will play in the second, and all your points are hugely valid. What's really going to be interesting is will Henderson and Ryan be fit enough to play that? Will Ty Byrne have a starting slot in France? You know, you think of Vilmus and on these monsters that France have, and the Irish selection is going to have to be adjusted in some shape at the front five point. The two second row, the six, four, five, and six will probably be the positions that will rotate somewhat throughout the competition to your very point. How do you keep that momentum going um, with the, the wildly different challenges? Like Wales, who knows what's going to turn up in, in Dublin and then away in France. And then Italy, of course, the advantage, we played them third up, which means that they'll be pretty battered and bruised by that stage. So to be fair to them, like, you know, Ireland should be able to, and we've a week's break between those games, should, should be able to, Michael Lowry and these guys should be able to, to get a game and have a pretty successful venture as well. Uh, for, last one, Liam. Everyone has this question, what is acceptable for Ireland uh, in, in this tournament and what is not? 
Well, you got to take into account Rugby World Cup, COVID, fitness levels. There's a lot of players we don't know how fit they are. They haven't played. The European competition has traditionally been an enormously important part of our preparation for Six Nations. That's kind of, you know, very different from the English system. And that's very... So there are... We're not 100% sure. COVID was very difficult on the Munster players over, over the period for a variety of reasons. We've got crowds back, etc. I think we have a really good opportunity... To, to, to challenge for the top iron. I'd still put France slightly ahead because we're playing them in Paris, but I think we should be talking uh, about that competition as like one, two, slot one or two uh, as, it, as it transpires. Well, Liam, we won't have long to find out now, will we? Which is great, isn't it? It'll be over far too soon, but uh, always great to speak to you. Thank you very much, mate. Okay, guys, take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Uh, we, we, we touched briefly on Wales, Tom. Only for the... It's just really difficult to know how they will cope with... The absence of players, you know, like Alan Wynne-Jones, like Navidi, um, you know, like Tipperick and so on. We know there is talent, a lot of talent, a lot of young talent. But the Six Nations, especially an opening game against Ireland, you know, in Dublin, is a very different prospect from, from even the Autumns, which are not a free hit, but, but you know... They don't play. They certainly don't have the cumulative effect. This is the this is the point about the Six Nations. You know, the start is so important because it really does determine how you're going to go in a in a totally disproportionate way. If you lose your first one, all panic sets. Unless you're you, you're very level headed, you people, the press get on you, the supporters get on you, and all of a sudden things have gone wrong, and you're saying, "Wait a minute, it's only one game." But this is what happens. Well, any international side that's missing, I think they're over 720 caps. Exactly, yeah. Eight Lions players, they're going to be struggling. Um, if you look at the, what's gone on over the past few weeks, the Welsh regions have struggled. Um, and generally, there's a reflection then in, in the first opening couple of rounds of the Six Nations. Um, I think I think Wales are going to find it really tough, You know, especially going from being um, title winners um, to, to, to this weekend where they play Ireland. I've... I've I think Liam was being fairly, fairly, uh, fairly nice. I think I think Ireland will, will will romp home in that one just just because how how they've bounced out of Europe. You know they had I think I don't think Leinster played for five weeks because of COVID, and that rest means that actually now those players look like they're absolutely flying. Yeah. Um, and then Sean of that experience, I think I think Wales will really struggle. The Premiership is continuing. You were at the AJ Bell Stadium. It was full, wasn't it, to see Sale uh, upset Leicester? Uh, deserved? Uh, deserved. I, d- I don't think they came out of the blocks for the first 40 minutes. They just they weren't even at the races. Uh, I think they got to 21-5 down they were. Um, in front of a full house, I was chatting to some of the marketing team on the way in and they said, oh, we, we've got a great full house here. We're looking for a great performance. At halftime, I was like, well, this is completely the opposite. Um, I think from Alex Sanderson's perspective, they're going to be really frustrated as a coaching unit because you can see when actually Sale turn it on from a from a physicality point of view they're almost unplayable at times. Four hundred and fifty eight Dupriers running at you that are all yeah. nearly twenty stone and, <laughs> yeah. and seven foot tall. Um, and when they turn it on, it makes AJ McGinty's ability at ten just brings him into his own yeah. because there's spaces all over the place. Leicester shifted uh, Freddie Burns onto the bench. They took him off. And actually, for me, that was a key turning point. 
because they brought Bryce Hegarty in from uh, fullback and a young player in a tight game. Um, I think that was a, that was a bad mistake for them. and They ended up losing. Well, it's strange because we saw this week we saw thirteenth beat third, tenth beat first, eighth beat second. So you are starting to see the impact on sides like Quinns, whose championship winning. Um, form last year, what I think was predicated quite a lot on the fact that he didn't have Don Brandt and Marcus Smith uh, involved in England duties. And this time around, they've got their Marchant and uh, North Moor's gone, uh, Liner's gone now into, into the squad. So uh, you're starting to see uh, the sides that have genuine depth, I mean real depth, at, uh, you know, in their squad. And they're not necessarily teams you, you, you think about. No, but what an opportunity for some some teams like Bath, like Bristol, that have struggled this season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we saw the performance of Nathan Hughes on, on Friday night against Quinns. Um, he's almost got an opportunity now to, to revitalise his career and, he, yeah. you know, certainly set the standards. I think Bath will be licking their lips at this opportunity. Yes. Uh, well, Saracens remain the bookies' favourites for the Premiership, but they're going to have to do it without Mark McCall, who is going to miss the remainder of the seasonal medical grounds and... Uh, uh, if Mark is listening or someone uh, who knows he's listening, we wish you all the best, Mark. Hope everything's fine and you can come back uh, as soon as, as you want to. Uh, what impact will that have at, at Saris? They're a very well-run club. I can't imagine all the systems are down to, to McCall at this stage in their development. No, I imagine he's almost like an orchestra conductor. He's just there pulling pulling the strings here and here and there. Joe Shaw's obviously head coach and has done a fantastic job alongside Ian Peel, but you've got then the likes of Kevin Sorrell and Adam Powell who are Saracens through and through. They've built this team um, over a number of seasons and that's what provides them with that level of consistency, that high level of performance. They know exactly what they expect. Um, yes, they'll, they'll miss Mark McCall. I'm sure he'll be touching base with them from time to time but um, you know it's, it's been left in good hands well that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's full contact with the Telegraph big thanks to my co-host Tom Main to my guests Ellis Genge and Liam Toland for joining me if you've enjoyed this episode you can check out all our previous ones by subscribing to the full contact podcast channel and this includes last week's chat with the former Scotland scrum half Rory Lawson about the threat that the Scots could pose to England this weekend. When we get back next week, we'll have had one round of the Six Nations. And as everyone knows, nothing ever goes to plan in the Six Nations. So whatever we said here, um, I put with a big caveat uh, behind that. Uh, so don't hold me to any of it. Uh, we'll be back. Look, join us. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 